You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Well, how the devil are you, dear listener? Again, it is my absolute privilege to welcome you to the Null and Void Sports Podcast. It's episode 68. After the runaway success of episode 67, we only thought it fair to bring you episode 68 with just as many top stories, sports stories, and a top consultant cardiologist who specializes in health, uh, heart health for over 50, oh, 50, oh, I'll say this in a minute, 50 year olds. See, that's got your attention straight away, hasn't it? My name is Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. Talking of heart health, Andy, you were pushing those walking distances over the weekend, weren't you? Uh, yeah, 50k this weekend. So I hadn't intended to do that. And it's maybe not the advice that anyone would give in a structured training plan, um, building up to an event to go out and do 50k the weekend before. But as ever, I've left, left everything to the last minute. Um, but also partly it was partly by design that I went a bit further and partly because the Thames Path Guide online tells lies about how far the distance between Wallingford and Abingdon is. There is no way that is 17.5 kilometres. My uh, GPS watch measured it at 24 and a half kilometres. And I've gone on to other online things that now say it's 20, 23, anywhere between 23 and 26. So nowhere near 17.5 kilometres. So I shall be sending a strongly worded email to whoever the authors of that website are, to let them know that they're right blooming fibbers. Yeah, and obviously that didn't help your feet by the look of, of the pictures on Facebook. No, ice, ice cold bucket of water um, in at my mum's before then, uh, spending the weekend with her and my brother, because it's my brother's birthday this week, and my mum's later on in September. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of a celebration with them, a... Uh, a takeaway carry and a couple of drinks, you know, just the way to top off and refuel after 50 kilometers of walking. So, yep. so you were over, you had a great day, didn't you? You were over at the uh football tournament, the youth tournament for myeloma uh, on Saturday. Yes, yeah, Simon Carlisle's fundraising football event. Uh, superbly organized, it really was. I mean, you know, it's one thing having the idea, but it's another thing putting it all together. And Simon had got so what you need is enough volunteers to make it happen, enough clearly referees and so on for the tournament. But it was really very well done, very impressive. And they went on to have a barbecue later. Uh, and I was delighted not only to see Simon, of course, there, but meeting with a number of ex-team members from Goring Football Club, who I coached a number of years ago. Um, Sunday... For me, apart from watching United, was largely taken up with, in quotes, helping Sue produce stewed apples and plums from the garden produce. All very important because they're all stored in jars for the next 12 months and I use them eating for my breakfast and I really enjoy that. Okay. Sue was letting you loose with a sharp implement or were you under careful adult supervision? Well, both. (laughs) (laughs) but anyway it worked so we got about half of what we need so far i i thought tennis we could talk about first what do you reckon yeah um there's been a few upsets and surprises and uh, i'm pretty much glad that i didn't follow justin's tips for this tournament because um there's been a number of the big names have been knocked out in the round of 16 in the men's and the quarterfinal in the women's yeah, and obviously Radicana we know about, first round defeat, having won it last year. It was mm-hmm. almost predictable that was going to happen. Serena Williams and Murray out in the third round. And does that mean Williams now retires? And what about Murray? Is that going to be the last one there? It's difficult to say, isn't it? Yeah, I know Serena has hinted at it. Um, Andy Murray, I don't know. But then when you look at some of the other names that have uh, have been knocked out over the last couple of days, so Nadal is yeah. at... Uh, Silic or Chilich is out. Yeah. Um, Cam Norrie is out. Cam, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, one thing <clears throat> about that was I didn't watch the game in fairness. I'm quoting somebody else, but they said he it was three straight sets and it was pretty tame from Cameron, 
Norrie. We're kind mm. of expecting him to do a Wimbledon again, aren't we? And, and certainly he plays with confidence, but not in that game. Yeah, um, and as yeah. we're recording on Tuesday night in the quarter, men's quarterfinals, uh, world number one Berrettini is two sets to love down against Rude. So we'll see whether he can turn that round. Mm. So, yeah, some of the really big names and the ones that I think a lot of people would have backed or predicted to have a good tournament are um, either struggling or out. So it's, And Kyrgios is still there. Kyrgios um, is still there, yeah. Accusing I know the hell out of, of everybody. Yeah, accusing <laughs> supporters of smoking marijuana at this one as opposed <laughs> to saying people were drunk at Wimbledon, which I know he's now facing a legal case for. Yeah, so he is. We can't yeah, say any more about that. No, but the, the interesting thing with him is almost whoever he plays, and indeed even the crowd, he can wind up. He has that ability. Mm. Why, you could question, but he definitely does that every single time. And, and Kyrgios was, uh, you know, is a mate of his, supposedly, but he's upset him now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I just think the, the way things are going with him, He's getting better and better. So, you know, uh, Kyrgios is um, going to cause problems wherever he goes. I mean, that's that's the way it works, I think. Anyway, um, Premier League next, I got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, highlight for me, obviously, United beating Arsenal. But I had to laugh when I read Eddie Howe, the Newcastle manager, who you know very well. He said he was quoted as saying, nobody likes us nobody wants to help us wake up eddie get real or should i say get real well we've got reals we've got loads of them yeah i know but get real you are in the big boys league now so get used to it that's what you have to put up with if you're ever going to win anything spurs keep ticking along west ham leicester really struggling is brendan rogers the next guy manager to go Mm, pretty high odds on that. I think it's between him and Frank Lampard, but the difference is that Brendan Rodgers is starting to make noises and rumblings about lack of investment. And when you start to upset the board like that, it, it pretty much it's giving you a very limited shelf life. Well, interestingly, um, there may be method in his madness because he's got three years of his contract left and it would cost them £10 million <laughs> to get rid of him at this point. Um, this week's also Champions League, Europa League, Europa Conference, and Uncle Tom Cobbley, and all. It all st- this that starts this week with the added madness of Qatar to come in between now and Christmas. Deep joy. I read Rod Little uh, at the um, of the Times article this week, and he was absolutely with with my views about. The, the World Cup and our views collectively. So and completely... the pickle it's made of the season, yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, I'd noted the Lionesses qualifying for the World Cup with a game to go, winning 2-0 in Austria. The final game is actually tonight. They're playing at, at Stoke, but they've already qualified. So well done, the Lionesses. That adds to the uh, the old phrase, can they do it on a wet Tuesday evening in Stoke, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and it probably both of those, all of those <laughs> things. I got Rugby Union next, Andy. You've got quite a bit on that. Yeah, so South Africa have hit back to beat Australia. They lost the first test in Oz last week. So they've hit back to keep their win one, lose one record going. So um, we'll see how they then fare against Argentina in the final two rounds of the Southern Hemisphere Championship. And yeah. that humiliation of their first ever home loss to Argentina last week, New Zealand really hit back to win 53-3. So a complete trouncing there. They were they were very, very dom- dominant and very good. I've watched the highlights back of that and played very well. Um, Record-breaking Red Roses, the England women's team, won mm. their 24th consecutive match in a uh, row with a win against the USA at Sandy Park. That's one of their two world, home World Cup warm-up games. They're playing Wales on Wednesday before then as the number one team in the world. They head down to New Zealand for the Women's World Cup, which will take place in October and November. So, uh, yeah, brilliant performance by them at Sandy Park. And 24 in a row is, is a, you know, no mean shakes at all. So a fantastic achievement. And then at Worcester, 
all the problems that have been happening with Worcester Warriors. Great yeah. is the players and staff have at last been paid, um, probably about four or five days late. But then now the twist on it is the owners have also put non-league football club Morecambe up for sale. They own them as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll sort of watch this space as to what happens with Worcester Warriors and Morecambe. And there was an article out today that I caught a glimpse of that basically shows how much I think there's only one of the top 13 clubs in the Premiership that doesn't owe HMRC large amounts. And we're talking a million plus for all of the other 12. So I saw that, I saw that under the top five, <coughs> you know, and, and Worcester for all their problems, they're not even in the top five no. in terms of the millions they owe. Yeah, it's that's quite frightening that uh, that yeah, chart. Yeah. So, so I think yeah, rugby, rugby union really needs a, a a big injection of cash from somewhere. I don't know whether that would come from TV rights deal, another sort of a joint venture, or one of the um, sort of buying rights companies or something. But uh, yeah, from somewhere. Another on the list for Liz Trust, I guess. Anyway, yeah. rugby league um, was exciting this weekend. The playoff places have been confirmed. Leeds Rhinos were playing Castleford in what was basically a shootout for the places. And with less than two minutes on the clock, Castleford was sitting pretty in the playoff places, 8-0 up. And then Leeds scored a try with about a minute and 20 left on the clock and then one where the clock was actually into the red um, to win 14-8. So they leapfrogged the uh, Castleford team to take the playoff place. So it's now going to be Catalans against Leeds and Huddersfield against Salford. And they'll play off this weekend with yeah. the players going on to the semifinals to play Wigan and Saints, St. Helens in the semifinals the following weekend. So, and then the grand final will be at Old Trafford on the 23rd, 24th, whatever that Saturday is. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. I got uh, cricket next. Um, I mean, all I'd written next to cricket was Bearstow disaster. How can you? How can that have happened? He's broken his leg, hasn't he? Yeah, the official story is that he slipped in a tee box um, playing golf and has broken his leg. The unofficial hoax that went round on social media um, very early over the weekend was that he was playing Ben Stokes and they bet a cheese and ham toasty on it and it got a bit <laughs> violent because the cheese and ham toasty was up for grabs. I think that is a vicious rumour. Both Ben Stokes and Johnny Bairstow have come out and denied it. But I love the idea of the two of them, <laughs> England international cricket players. Well, I mean, the, ser- the serious point, Andy, is he's not available for the South Africa game and, and onwards from there, isn't he? He's going to be out. Yeah, he's going to miss the T20 World Cup down in Australia, which is a big blow for England because... The form he's been in this summer across all formats of the game has been superb. Um, there was a lot of talk at the 100 finals night by the pundits of do England move down with Milan, who is also in great nick this summer, and certainly in the short form of the game, do they move him up to open as a replacement for Bairstow? So there's some questions to be answered there and some decisions to be made on who will take that place and uh, who flies out. The England women's team have just announced their T20 squad for uh, matches against India. I think they've got three matches coming up. The first one at Durham at the end of this week um, and then finishing up at Lords um, at the end of the weekend. Okay, and obviously the 100 finals, male and female. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, Really good finals day. You know, the semi-final games and then the the, the finals. So in the women's game, London um, Originals uh, followed up their win last year. Um, with sorry, London Invincibles with a win again and taking the title. And then in the men's final, a great game between Manchester Originals and Trent Rockets. It came down to the last five balls with Trent Rockets really looking as though they'd thrown the game away and needing 11 off the last set of five. Um, and they cleared it with, I, I was watching it and said to my brother, they'll do this with two balls to spare. I think he'll go six, four, um, and then a one, and they went 6-4-1. So the last three balls, they, well, the first three balls, the last five, they won it and uh, cue celebrations, but a really good game. And uh, yeah, sometimes it shows that it doesn't need to be. Whilst the idea behind the 100 
was all going to be wham bam, uh, big sixes, big boundaries. Actually, sometimes a low scoring game can give you just as much excitement. Yeah. Okay. Uh, La Vuelta, um, Netherlands and Spain, but obviously mainly Spain, ends this coming Sunday. Yeah. The yeah. Third and final of the Grand Tours this year. Yeah, so we've got Remco Ivanapol uh, leading. We've then got Primoz Roglic in second place and then Emric Mass in third place. So they seem to be, certainly Ivanapol has been, you know, one of the leaders right through from the first week. So uh, I think we can look to him. Um, Lee Spore has actually been in touch. I was going to save this to the contacts, but it made me yeah. chuckle with some more guidance on... Uh, on our comments on the tour last week. So it was um, just catching up, guys. All three Grand Tours are races over 21 days with the odd rest and travel day thrown in. Not a bad effort, Mr. Callahan. I particularly like the efforts with accent and intonation of the Spanish words. <laughs> minus for effort B minus for attainment. And then <laughs> some pointers on how to say Primoz Roglic, Remco Ivanapol and Teo Gagan Hart. So, but what he has said, and a relief to you and me, and I think this is a rider where we have trouble always with the uh, riders' names. This is a rider we want to do really well over the next couple of years. Is the British rider Fred Wright? Has yeah, we like him. We like him. really close on a few occasions to a stage win. So, I yeah. really want to see Fred Wright doing well over the next yeah. couple of years. So, it makes it easier for me to pronounce. But he's, he's, he's my not taking he's part. My yeah, there's also the Tour of Britain taking part uh, taking place this week. So it was stage three today, which finished in Sunderland. So I'm amazed that the bikes still have both wheels on by the time they finish. Um, and then that was uh, Camille Bonu won the stage, but the uh, GC leader is the New Zealand rider Corbin Strong. Second place, Ben Perry, and Matty's Passions in third is only seven seconds behind. In fact, the whole top ten places three days into the uh, eight days of the race are just 15 seconds apart. So we'll see if it stays that close as they come up to the final stage on Sunday on the Isle of Wight, which I guess there's some blooming big hills on there, having done that at Easter. You know that. Now, Dutch Grand Prix, um, I'd written down what a cock-up. Yet again, Verstappen wins, this time on his home circuit. But interestingly from my standpoint, was the race was stopped again because they couldn't lift a car from the track. So the race had to be stopped, which is what has to happen. Hamilton at that point was likely to win. Where have we heard this before? (laughs) And the car that broke down was mysteriously owned by Red Bull. I'm not saying anything, but the commentators said there's going to be some controversy about that. So the race was stopped. Both teams had the chance to change tyres legally. And yes, there you go. Mercedes cock it up yet again. And Hamilton less than amused. So uh, It's just Abu Dhabi all over again, isn't it? They, Absolutely. Uh, it's a, it's weird. Weird. So uh, Verstappen wins again. Um, uh, to, to misquote uh, Oscar Wilde, importance of being earnest, to... Uh, to, to mix it up once is unfortunate, but to mix it up twice is just careless. Careless, yeah, carelessness. Right, uh, contacts. Johnny Walters said to me uh, a weekend, I love it when you have a go at people or organisations. The other sports broadcasters never do it. Well, thank you, John. We love our get a grip feature. And the others don't do it because they're probably too scared of offending a sponsor. We haven't got one. <laughs> uh, if anyone out there is, is does want to be a sponsor who's offended by us, then please do get in touch. Please do get in touch, yeah. Uh, Simon Callard, an update to what I was saying earlier. He said, money-wise, we took over £3,000 on the day. We already had banked 2700 but donations are still coming in. Uh, the Just Giving page was at 4000 for 100. So with John's uh, event up in Macclesfield, we should uh, be in advance of £24,000. Isn't that fantastic? fantastic. Really well done to Simon and everyone involved with putting the both events on and the 
cycle ride by John Connolly as well. So all of that, you know, both, I think, as we said last week, when we had Simon on, not just raising funds, really important and critical funds for multiple myeloma, but also raising awareness of what is very unknown um, cancer. So I think, you know, really well done to Simon and the team around him for uh, putting on a fantastic event. And yeah, 24K raised in, you know, a couple of months is absolutely brilliant. Good stuff. Okay. Um, get a grip. A chance to have a go at somebody, as uh, Johnny Walter was saying. Yeah, well, I'm actually an admirer of Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal manager. I think, without doubt, he's created a young, talented team currently. Yes, he wobbled to begin with last season, but they overall look very capable. In a way, that makes it all the more disappointing for me to hear his after-match analysis of why his team lost, repeat, lost to Manchester United. Because what he was saying was, in just about every way, we were the better team. He was sure at half-time they would win. A couple of pointers, Mikel. 69% possession does not necessarily mean control of the game. And shots on target matter. United had more than you did. The real error was his, Mikel Arteta's. His alone, because making the substitutions in the second half late on, he thought at 1-1 they were going to win the game. Whilst those substitutes were still there, three of them, attacking substitutes. Nothing wrong with that, except United went 2-1 ahead. And instead of altering what he was going to do, he just said, OK, I'm going to throw you on anyway, we'll win the game. With the result that, because United were much better than they were on the break, getting a third goal. So 3-1. And to be honest, after five successive wins, uh, Arteta, learn to accept defeat with a bit more good grace. And if you want to know the actual result, Look in today's papers and at the same time, get a grip. I don't know. You you as a United fan, Tony, there you were a couple of weeks ago, keeping very quiet and not at all smug. Get a couple of wins under your belt and look at you now. It's, uh, yeah, now looking down on everyone from near the top of the pyramid. (laughs) Four, four wins. Four Four in a row. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, uh, it was good, good... um, Good copy as far as I was concerned. So it was a good target for Get a Grip. Shall we move on to talk to our guest tonight? Uh, yeah, we're really excited to speak to our guest. So if you were, uh, uh, I'm delighted to say that Mike Butterworth, who appeared as an excellent guest on Null and Void and is a top triathlon competitor himself, has become a big fan of Null and Void sports podcast. And as a result, he has unearthed some great guess. Tonight is no exception. As I said earlier, our guest tonight specialises in heart health, particularly in the over 50s, a subject many of our listeners have a vested interest in hearing more, I would suggest. Let me read his working title and say hello. Dr. Peter Swoboda works at the Multidisciplinary Cardiovascular Research Centre and the Division of Biomechanical Imaging Leeds Institute of Cardiovascular and Medicine, University of Leeds. <laughs> Dr. Peter Swoboda, welcome to Null and Void. You must have a very big business card to fit all of that on. I was going to say that must be the world's longest uh, <laughs> business card or letterhead, isn't it, Peter? Yeah, Um yeah, you don't have to put all of it on. You can just say, you can just say I, work, I work in the University of Leeds doing my research. Yeah, no, I, I just thought it would, I saw it in one profile. And I thought I have uh, to use that to introduce <laughs> you because it's the longest introduction ever. But you're anyway, you're most welcome. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. Now, as I said, our connection was Mike Butterworth, but leading to talk about what you do. Can we first go back a bit and say, how, that's a very impressive set of credentials there. But how did you get to get in that position? Where, where did you? Where was your education? What yeah. took you in that direction? So I'm a I'm a consultant cardiologist in in Pinderfield Hospital in Wakefield, 
and I'm also, but I've also got my university title at the University of Leeds. Um, during my cardiology training, uh, I took three years out of training to do a PhD. And so I did a PhD in Leeds and started in 2012. And it was during that PhD we did, we had some interesting findings actually with, with some athletes that we were researching. It started off actually doing research with athletes as healthy volunteers. Um, I was, I was at, at my running club and I needed some healthy volunteers to come down for scans. And so I got a, got a few of my mates from my running club to come down and we noticed that their measurements were slightly different than the, than, than the other healthy volunteers were done. And that's how this whole project then started with, with research into athletes. And then, so after, after that, then I had a period of time working full-time at the university after my PhD. And then, and then I took up a clinical NHS post in, in Wakefield, but I've still got my university position and um, I'm doing research funded by the British Heart Foundation in Leeds, um, doing this um, research into making endurance sports safer in particularly in older athletes, but in all athletes really. And what's the, I mean, it's a great thing to be doing. And obviously any, any sport that we can make safer, fantastic. But what was it particularly that sort of hooked your interest into this and you thinking this is an area we need to look further into, Peter, to try and make it safer? So the interesting thing for me is that nearly, so, so in my day job, I'm 99% of people I'm telling to do more exercise. That's part of my day job. And nearly everyone can do more exercise and it will be good for them in nearly every single way. And the, the benefits are measurable. But once, once, once you become, you know, at the very top end of elite, once you become super fit, you sort of, the, le- the benefits you get seem to plateau off a bit. And we still see people who are top athletes, you know, they still have tragic events. It still happens. And, you know, that's, that's sometimes quite hard to get your head around that we're doing all this stuff to get fitter and get yourself healthier but then you can still have the tragedies still occur and so that's 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 the thing that really drives me that's the thing that you know it's about being able to give that message to people do sport do as much sport as you can but all we want to do is just make it as safe as possible for everyone and that's really what mm. our work's all about I, I guess the one that everyone remembers like that was from the the euros last year the football with christian erickson you know again a, a very fit healthy footballer who then collapsed on the pitch with a with a cardiac um, incident. So, yeah, you know, it's a, it, I think, and people always get very shocked. You know, it's sort of like I think, as you say, they, that we can't compute in our heads that here's someone who's a professional athlete, yeah, who's had that and, happen. And the remarkable thing about Christian Eriksson is because he'd been in the Premier League before that, he'd been screened. We know that his heart was okay before that because you, you, when you're a Premier League footballer you have to have heart screening mm. so it's, his heart was okay and yet despite that you know despite that and being you know top level athlete top level performer his heart still stopped which is just you know you, you just it's impossible to get your head around really and mm. that's what we're trying to do we're trying to find new ways of identifying risk making it safer and so that, that's what my work's all about but uh, yeah the Christian Eriksson thing was you know it's very very emotive I was watching it on the telly with my kids um, they were asking what's happened and you could see that clearly his heart had stopped for a period and they were resuscitating him. And I think it's just a, you know, real fantastic testament to the medical staff there on the day that he's playing football again. It's just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's obviously had to move to a really bad club now. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, I, I've always thought it was an impressive player and the way he's starting to play with United again, it's, it's easy to overlook what he's gone through. Mm. You know, in Italy, he can't play uh, uh, with a pacemaker. That's why he's in England again. Um, but to see him play, you think, how can that be? Again, the same principle. Now, is your understanding of that made easier because you are a runner yourself, marathons and many other distances? Is it helped by that? Um, yeah, maybe. May I think the... Um... The, the running side of the, I just enjoy the running. It's just, a, maybe it's, a, it's a, I enjoy running and it's part of the work, but uh, it's kind of separate for me. You know, um, I think one, I guess I am aware of our work, you know, and I, I do want to try and do sports safely. Um, but also I, I think I'm pretty sensible. For example, 
the obvious advice we give to people is don't train when you're unwell. You know, this is a, the top advice. I do try and follow that. Don't train if, not that I, I don't actually drink, but if you do drink, don't train if you had a heavy night the night before. These are sensible things that we, we try and advise most people. I do follow all of that, but um, um, but the, the running itself, I'm not sure is the um, is the main driver for, for my work. I don't think. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm good enough to get to get any of the problems that these guys get. I don't know. I mean, as Tony was saying when we were chatting off air before we came on, Peter, uh, some of your times are pretty impressive. You know, that's uh, I, I I look envious as a as a very much a back of the pack plodder, um, a penguin. I look very enviously at some of those times and go, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a pretty impressive time. It's yeah. all it's it's all relative, though. You know, at my running club, there are you know seventeen and eighteen year old guys, and I'll go out for a run with them, and they they keep you very grounded. You can't get a big head at all. No, but I, I, is that Rothwell? Yeah, Rothwell. Yeah, yeah. I, for a time when I came to work in Leeds, we had a rented house in Rothwell. Uh, we moved up from uh, down south in, in uh, Portsmouth and we were there for about three months till we got the other place sorted out that we were buying um, and we lived near Roundhead. But uh, one thing I do know about that, because I, I ran my first marathon when I, that was 81, um, uh, I ran my first marathon when I was based in Leeds. I do know there were some decent hills in Leeds, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, there are. Definitely. <laughs> so in terms of where you're on this project with British Heart Foundation, where are you? It's a two year project. Are you one year in? Where are yeah, you? we're about. So, so we opened the project earlier this year and we were looking for 100 um, endurance athletes over the age of 50 to have a we implanted a or we we're implanting a small electronic device under their skin to sitting over the heart and actually recording every single heartbeat for, for two years. And the cool thing about this is you can, you can do it during sport because most ECG monitors with stickers don't work during sport and they certainly don't work if you get, you know, if you get sweaty or wet or anything. Um, so, so we're able to record heart rhythms during sport, which nobody has ever done before to this extent. And then when we combine that with, you know, um, exercise testing and these, we, we have a, state-of-the-art MRI facility in Leeds, cardiac MRI, and combining all these things together, we're able to get some really new information that nobody's ever got before about uh, what happens to your physiology during sport. Why do people get certain heart, dangerous heart rhythms? Why do patients get other, I'm not, sorry, not patients. These are, they're just participants because they're, they're all fit and well. And actually, so we were looking for 100, 106 volunteers. And I thought it'd be quite hard to, find people to volunteer to have an invasive procedure. It's a small operation to have the thing implanted under the skin. Um, but we've, uh, we had every single one taken up very, very quickly. We've, I think the last implant is due for the end of the month. So we'll have it all finished within six months. And then, we, and then it's just following up, the, following up all these downloads. And so that the, the athletes don't have to come in at all. Every single night, the, um, they get given a Bluetooth box. Every single night, the um, the box downloads every heartbeat off their monitor, sends it to us, goes through algorithms to be processed, and we we then find out who's had any rhythms the, the day before. A really nice thing that we've started doing then is, is pairing that up with their training data because mm -hmm. these days everyone has such, you know, whether you use Garmin or um, whatever. We have, um, I don't know if you've heard of Training Peaks, but tra Training Peaks, the company, support our work as well. And so through them, we're, um, we're recording every single sporting exercise, sporting activity that these people do. So if something happens, we can look at our ECG from the download and then we can go back and look at their training log and see what, what they were doing exactly the moment when it happened, which is just, mm. you know, the, the technology that's available to us now is just absolutely fantastic. And it gives us the ability to explore things that have really never been never been explored before and it's, it's 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 exciting and and it's something that you, I, I get really really enjoy it when we do get a real buzz out of it so one of the, one so of the issues it, Peter, in, in terms of you were saying that you know for most people more exercise would be a really good thing for these people that are if you like already established exercising and within that 106 i'm sure there are some where you're getting data that is 
maybe slightly more concerning or raises some red flags and questions. What would be the sort of things? Is it someone's physiology? Is it someone's lifestyle? What is it that could cause those those red flags to show in the data that you're getting? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. And the honest answer is nobody really knows yet. You know, what, what causes you to have dangerous heart rhythms during sport or during training? We don't even know if it occurs when you're pushing yourself really, really hard or if it just occurs at any time. Christian Eriksson was just jogging on the side of the pitch when it happened, wasn't he? He wasn't, he wasn't doing a sprint or anything. Mm. So, so the only way we find out is by studying people um, prospectively, we call it, to find out what happens to them. We don't, you know, we don't need full-on tragic, you know, full-on ma- major events like Christian Eriksson, but we can find smaller heart rhythms and, mm. and try and understand. And there, there are certain things. We, we, so I mentioned before, for example, training when you're unwell, um, uh, alcohol, caffeine, things like these may be precipitants. Certain kinds of training, you know, perhaps maybe these. This is these are all ideas. I really don't know. Maybe training, mm. you know, training at too high an intensity level, and maybe not taking enough recovery days. Right. These are all things that we hopefully will be able to answer to you in a couple of years' time. One of, one of the issues that I I read a couple of times that you could look at and say, hey, maybe there's a problem here, was based on scarring on the heart. Is that right? Right. So that's the scarring in the heart we can detect on, on cardiac MRI. And in young athletes, you, you find scarring maybe in 1% or 2%. And as you get older, doing endurance sport, the, 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 the amount of scarring, the amount of athletes we find scarring and seems to get higher. But... Who's to say that this is necessarily a bad thing? Scarring is your body's own way of healing. We need to do the research to find out whether the scarring is something to be concerned about or whether it's just, um, you know, for example, you've, you've punctured your tyre, you've repaired your tyre, it still works fine. You know, maybe it's that sort of thing, that scarring, that healing, and maybe it, maybe in itself is nothing to worry about. So we, we do find scarring in a lot, quite a lot of our older endurance athletes, but whether it's whether it's something to be worried about, just can't answer that question yet. And then yeah. what things now I might have got this totally wrong, Peter, because I was more paying attention to what the results were saying. I took part in the Marathon de Sable uh, four or five years ago. And before you go on that, you've got to have an ECG and they weren't quite happy with mine. So they did the MRI and they were happy with that. But the, the guy that was doing it, the consultant that was doing it, was saying that they sometimes see, especially in distance runners is it a slight thickening of the walls of the heart chambers absolutely this is um, wrong this is so in the in a previous study i did i did a previous study in young young athletes and i i I gave this speech so many times but when you're explaining to people why why they should do the research and i would say to them the heart's like any other muscle the more you train the bigger it gets and so actually that's part of adaptive physiology that your heart gets bigger as you get stronger what we actually did in that study was we um, we took footballers who had broken legs and we did MRI scans on them within a week of the broken leg and then uh, one month and three months after their detraining. And we could show that your the first, particularly in the first month of detraining, the heart shrink the heart shrunk by about eight percent. Wow. I know. And that's that's um it just shows you how dynamic the heart's a really fantastic, fascinating organ because it's so dynamic. It changes, but with with training and detraining, we know that probably to make to train and make your heart bigger probably takes six months. But I was surprised that it detrains so quickly. Mm-hmm. But obviously, these were guys that were training twelve hours, going from twelve hours a week to zero, and, and that's that's unusual outside of the um, you know the sort of the art slightly unusual scenario we picked to recruit these guys yeah and to go from that that as you say that's a level of training to nothing at all because they've got a broken leg you know you're sort of seeing it very much to go from very active to sedentary very quickly you know people i guess normally it's yeah one whether people go one way or t'other it's usually over a longer period of time exactly when you meet when you meet top athletes and you say to them detraining they say, oh, I've, I've cut down from 70 miles a week to 50 miles a week. That's detraining. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, certainly in my early days uh, uh, of uh, running marathons, 
I knew to get the kind of times I wanted. And in fairness, not as good as yourself, but I didn't beat three hours. But I was training 50 miles a week. That was my kind of standard training ahead of each marathon I did. And I did six in three years. So, you, but that was the kind of minimum level. Interestingly, when I was at one of the radio stations, because we did a sort of um, sports program there, uh, I once went to an executive health club and they did, they monitored me on the bikes. And the guy stopped the broadcast that we were doing. It wasn't live. But he stopped it and he said, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. And I ended up having to go to my local doctor in, in Leeds because I, I was still based there, although I was going to move to another radio station. And the consultant came in and he put up my graph on the wall. He said, and he hadn't said another word to me apart from hello. He said, marathon runner, hey? And I said, yeah, how do you know that? And he, he, he was talking about AT, atrial fibrillation. And he, he said, because the heart is so strong, going back to the point about the heart, it's pumping as what seems to be like an irregular beat. And I said, oh, right. And, and that's what the first thing he said. Now, I was training for marathons at that time, so it was quite a shock to the system. But anyway, there you go. I guess that fits with what you're saying about the strength of the muscle. Absolutely, yeah. And that's, so we start off by... Usually when we do screening, like, like you had um, for, at Marathon de Sable, we start off by ECG and, um, and we find a lot of ECG changes in, 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 in all athletes, really, but particularly more in endurance sport. And that's this on the surface 12 lead ECG with the stickers. And then, then you, we go into more advanced imaging and we find more subtle abnormalities. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a very hairy bloke and they hated me with the stickers. They just couldn't <laughs> get them to stick at all. Uh, in the end, he was, uh, I think the doctor sent me off and said with a razor and said, right, get rid of some of that because we can't actually stick these to you. Yeah, our, our guys our guys are usually already very obsessed with aero. They usually come in fully fully shaved already, ready to go. <laughs> so, so in, in ter- Peter, in terms of the research you're doing, you're a good way into this particular project. Yeah. Uh, uh, is there anything that surprised you or has your experience said, no, nah, I've seen most of this before? Or is that the new stuff coming along all the time? It's still, it's still early days. We're still, we're still collecting all the data, but we are, I think my, I was slightly worried that we wouldn't see any heart, abnormal heart rhythms, you know, and we'd just have two, two years of normal ECGs. But we are, seeing, we are seeing some abnormal heart rhythms. I guess the good thing is, though, that nobody's coming to any harm from it. Um, well, quite the reverse, I would imagine, in, in many cases, because it's advanced warning that, yeah. that, that you're getting that they wouldn't normally have. Yeah, that, that's true, you know, because they are getting there because they're getting so intensively monitored that um, yeah. when something does, ha- if, if something would happen, then, then we would know about it straight away. It, it sounds like you're going to be there for a very long time, not here tonight, but in Leeds, because it seems like that work is is always going to be evolving. And for instance, you've got 106 male participants yeah uh, but i guess the next thing is is it different for women yeah i don't we, again a really important question don't don't know the answer yet we know that dangerous heart rhythms happen more in male athletes um there's mm-hmm. certainly less less female athletes affected by this that's not to say we shouldn't study it. we should study it it's it's just it'll be the next thing we do the, the female athletes there's there's loads, there's so much I want to do with this. You know, I want to expand it to younger athletes. I want to expand it to female athletes. Um, there's so much we want to do. And hopefully, um, hopefully there'll be more projects in the future. I guess just building on that, Peter, yeah. what, was the, what was the rationale for starting the research at 50 plus? Was there a reason for that being a, a sort of a milestone point? There's a, there's a, there's a couple of reasons. So we were talking about scarring. And the scarring on the heart is probably related to lifetime amount of sport you've done. And so it's some of these guys, you know, at 50 who have trained 12 hours a week for all these years have had a very large exposure to sport. Um, and so that's the main, the main impetus. The, the, the veteran athletes physiology is slightly different to the young athletes physiology. And I don't think they are directly comparable. The other thing is that, you can't do studies like this in, in young athletes at their peak. You know, they just, they just won't do it. 
And right. so even, for example, remember the broken, our broken leg study before, you know, that as soon, as soon as people are able to start training again, obviously they want to be back training and, and particularly when they're young and, you know, a lot of, a lot of sports has a very, you have a very finite career, don't you? And, um, and so, the, so they're the, they're the main reasons really we, we, um, we work with, with, with the older, older guys, but um, there's no, you know, there's, once, once we've done this, we'll, we'll, we'll expand it without, without a doubt. To, to do that, to do that, Peter, though, do you need additional funding? I mean, like you've got British Heart Foundation. Yeah. Is that is absolutely essential for you yeah. to move forward successfully? All research is incredibly expensive. Yeah. You know, the, 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 each one of the heart monitors we put in was, I think, around two or three thousand pounds. You know, each one we put in over a hundred. And um, it's just, you know, the, the, the costs of doing research, the overheads are just, are just very high. We can't do it without the British Heart Foundation. Without their support, it's not possible to do this sort of stuff. And um, yeah, so we'll, we'll be applying for more funding and there'll be more, more applications to keep, keep doing this sort of thing. I think the, the nice thing is, say for example, I did, when I did London last year, London Marathon, I met a lot of the, after the race, I went to the British Heart Foundation reception and met a lot of the fundraisers. And, and maybe they're slightly biased because they do running, but you know, they're all so supportive and they're all so supportive of what we're trying to achieve. It's, 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 it's nice. It's, you know, makes you sort of um, justifying what you're trying to do. Mm. Um, I think, I think that, you know, with, but obviously without the fundraisers, you just can't do any of it. So how many, I mean, just, just two, two things. One is, What's a typical day for you? I mean, for instance, today, what have you done? And how many people are in your kind of immediate team? Quite apart from the participants, how many people are in your team? A normal, I don't even, I don't even think I could tell you about a normal day. There is no <laughs> such thing, but every, every day involves, um, I've got three sons. Uh, I've got an old, the oldest son is nine and is football mad. And so I spend a lot of time taking him to football and, um, a lot of carrying there, you know, sort of doing usual dad stuff. I do I run every day um, at the moment because London Marathon's now four weeks away. I'm hopefully going to hit, I've hit 60 miles for the last four or five weeks. Uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm on for over 2,000 miles this year of training. So, and that, but a lot of that's opportunistic running. You know, it's like a run when you know, while he's at football training or, you know, a run when you've got an hour after getting home from work and things like this. So there's a lot of opportunistic running. I try and do a couple of, couple of good sessions a week. I do my clinical NHS job. I do my NHS work, um, which is obviously busier than ever. Um, and then I've got my, my research time with the university. The university team, we have um, um, the, the, the imaging department where I work in Leeds. There's um, three or four of us sort of academic cardiology consultants who, who do this same sort of things, but obviously in different areas. I do the, I do all the, the main the sports stuff. I have a PhD student who works for me, who's a, who's a cardiology doctor. I have um, a couple of junior doctors and a couple of undergraduate researchers on the team. We've got a research nurse. All of these things are a team effort. And that's that's partly research as a team effort, and partly you know clinical work as a team as a team effort. And um, yeah, so so I would just say life is busy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a sort of understatement of a year, I think, with two thousand yeah. miles of running uh, yeah. so far. Well, I mean, I think it's a fascinating insight, Andy. I don't know if you've got any other questions for, for Peter. No, it's really, really interesting to, to hear you talk us through that, Peter. And, um, you know, also to wish you the very, very best for for the London Marathon. Did you say it's uh, three, four weeks away now? Yes, it's four weeks, four weeks. So um, I'm sure you'll I'm sure you'll be featuring it a bit closer to the time. And should should our uh, dear listener, who might well be a, a runner, I'm very keen on exercise. Any words of general advice? Keep doing it. Keep active. Yeah. I think find nearly, something you like and do it nearly all of us nearly 
nearly all of us can do more exercise and not have any trouble at all from it. Nearly all of us can do more exercise and the rest of us, you know, and, and when just, but also just, you know, the common sense advice I, said, I gave before, don't, you know, if, you, if you're unwell with a cold, don't just take a day off. Don't run after it if you've been out drinking alcohol. Um, if you miss it, for the runners amongst us, if you miss a hard session or a session goes badly, don't try and, you know, catch up on yourself by doing another hard session. You know, it's about, it's about that part of things about listening to your body and, and really not, not overdoing it. Well, Andy's got a big walk this weekend, so I'm sure he's listening very closely. Yeah, 100k along the Thames path from Fulham to uh, Henley. So uh, I think if I'm listening to my body by the time I get to Henley, it will be saying a lot of four-letter words at me. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that sort of thing is is very much mind over body, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, or, or, or mind over matter. Uh, other people don't mind and I don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, really, really nice talking to you, Peter. Thank you for your time. And no I'm absolutely sure if you're happy to do so, we could get you back on in the future talking about maybe specifics, but more likely updating us on how you're continuing with your re fantastic research mm -hmm. you're doing at Leeds. And no, no we'll problem at all. Yeah, well, thank you for joining us and we'll send you the link so that you can have a listen to it. And if you want to send it amongst your network, that's absolutely fine. It goes goes out later in the week, Thursday evening normally. But we'll uh, thank you very much for your time. That's most generous. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks Bye a lot, Peter. Bye. See you later. Now, that's a real insight uh, to an area that a lot of us don't know too much about. Um, but we do now a <laughs> good deal more. Yeah, what a, what a fantastic guest. And also someone who is obviously, that will be a lot of research, a lot of data, a lot of the scientific stuff, but made it very easy and engaging to understand, you know, even for non-scientific people like you and me, Tony, you know, <laughs> yeah, easy quite. to understand and to, to appreciate the work that Peter and his team are doing. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, another I'm very enjoyable episode. I hope, dear listener, you find exactly the same thing and therefore you'll be with us the following week. And we're growing that army of people elsewhere in the world, up to 31 now. Let's have some more. Spread the news. Null and Void is going places all over. Kuwait going late. global. Yeah, going global. Yeah, we love all of that. And make sure you're with us at a similar time and a place that suits you next week. And more of the same. Some great guests coming up. We really enjoy it. See you later. Cheerio, folks. Thanks a lot. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk.